everything in our economies, everything in our lifestyle really does ultimately come from nature. It's about where stuff comes from and what stuff is made from. Whatever you buy, keep it in circulation. Don't throw it in the bin. And once you switched and you're like building something sustainable, it's super cool. Nothing can stop you. Like uh, it's the new sexy. <laughs> Welcome to Fashion Our Future, the podcast where we explore the solutions to make the fashion and luxury industry more sustainable and circular. My name is Lauriane Meulière, I'm 31, I'm a French journalist, entrepreneur and fashion lover living in Paris. In this podcast, I went virtually all over the world to collect the words and knowledge of the people who are working behind the scenes to make change happen. Together, we'll go beyond the labels on our clothes to understand their impact on the environment and the game-changing solutions that will shape the future of fashion. So hop on, it's going to be an exciting journey that will empower you with concrete knowledge and hope for the future. We've arrived at episode number three, Embracing a Circular Way of Life. As I hinted at the end of episode two, The keyword is circularity. As Henriane said, we need to transform our current linear model, which is best summed up as take, make, waste, into a circular model, where we make, use, and reuse. So that prompted this question. Instead of taking virgin raw materials from nature, why don't we reuse what's already existing? Basically, can recycling be the most straightforward and simplest approach to making fashion brands more sustainable? You know me, I had to investigate. I met with three experts to see what they have to say about that. Spoiler, nothing is as easy as it seems. First, we're meeting with Maud Hardy here in Paris, who is the general manager of ReFashion. But what is ReFashion? ReFashion is what we call a PRO. PRO stands for Producer Responsibility Organization. It means that we are an organization that is accredited by the French Ministry of Environment and the French Ministry of Economy to manage the responsibility of the brands. It all started in 2009 when the French government decided to implement the EPR, so the Extended Producer Responsibility for Clothing and Footwear in France. Quick definition here. The EPR law compels producers to provide for or contribute towards the management of waste for articles placed on the market for consumers. Actually, when a citizen, a consumer, puts a used clothing or a used pair of footwear in a collection point, there is a huge amount of players, of stakeholders that are taking action. The first player are what we call the collectors. The collectors are going to massify the products that have been dropped by the consumers and they are going to bring them to sorting centers. Those sorting centers will be able to decide whether a product can be reused or if a product needs to be recycled because the first environmental um, criteria is to make sure that a product can be reused and reused and reused because it's always by reusing a product that you have the best environmental impact. When the product cannot be reused, 
it has to be recycled. And then there is another category of stakeholders that are taking action to be able to split the products by material, by category, and then reconnect to the fiber of each product and then be able to recycle each fiber. Best option would be to reuse the product. Before considering recycling, you have to consider how you can repair it, how you can recustomize it, or, and how you can reuse it. Every single product that is bought will be, at the end of the journey, a waste mm. that you have to manage. Every year, we have more than three billion units of clothing and footwear that are placed on the market and we have an average weight of every single unit. So for instance, we know that a pair of denim jeans will weight one kilogram and a t-shirt will weight approximately 200 grams. So this is the way we can calculate which is the total amount of future waste that are placed on the market every year. Can you imagine that? I mean, ain't that crazy? So how on earth do we recycle all of that? Remember when I said nothing is as easy as it seems? Textile and footwear recycling is a huge challenge so far. If we consider only textile uh, as a first step, we have three different ways of recycling this material. The first one is what we call mechanical recycling, and it's basically shredding the old uh, T-shirt or the old pair of denim to be able to uh, return to the fiber. And then this fiber can then re be yarn to recreate a, a yarn and a textile, or can be used as non-wovens, for instance, for insulation. So this is the first technology, which is called mechanical recycling. The second one will be chemical recycling. And this is possible for only a selection of material. You cannot chemically recycling everything so far. Maybe that in, I don't know, 10 or 20 years it will be possible. But so far, we have a major focus on polyester mm -hmm. and on the cotton and polyester blend. And then you have many other categories of recycling that are maybe much more um, experimental so far, like enzymatical recycling or thermomechanical recycling, which is a mix of uh, mechanical and chemical recycling. Recycling all the products that are placed on the market is a key challenge for all the stakeholders, both the brand, also the local communities and the collectors, sorters and recyclers. It's a work that we have to do all together to make sure that every single unit has been considered as a new potential material that will be potentially integrated in a new clothing or in a new car or furniture or construction. So the, the real challenge is that this is a sector that has to work all together. Now that we know that recycling is a complex process, I asked Maud what brands should do. The way we consider our mission as the PRO, so the Producer Responsibility Organization for the EPR for closing, is that we have to have a leverage on what we call the four R. The first one will be the R of reduction, then it's reuse, obviously, repair and recycle. So all the brands and all the stakeholders have to focus on those four R and make sure that they are optimized 
altogether. Meaning what exactly? Many brands have great initiatives and uh, our role is to make sure that they have all the tools to improve themselves in all the different phases of the life cycle product. The first one being the production, so how we can make sure that they are all eco-designing their products. The second phase is the phase of usage. So here we are working on repair, reuse, and why not upcycle. And then the last phase is what we call the regeneration, and this is when the product becomes a waste, how we can make sure that every single product will be optimized in their recycling process. Mo touched on a point I found super interesting. She talked about brands needing to eco-design their products. Let's dig further into that topic. The key challenge for all the brands is to eco-design their products. And we see so far three main criteria. The first one would be durability. How can I make sure that the product that I am developing will have the best longer life possible? And this is a huge, huge challenge. The second challenge would be how can I make sure the product that I am developing will be recyclable. And when you mention blends, blend is a key issue. If you have a product with, I don't know, seven or ten different materials, it will be very complicated to be recycled. If you have a product with one single material, this is much more easier. And then the third criteria is how can I make sure to replace virgin material by recycled material? in order to have a better environmental impact. Listening to Mode, I was surprised to learn that recycling is a much more complex operation than I thought. Were you? I definitely don't see the recycling bins the same way, and I will keep the four R's in mind. Do you remember what they are? Reduction, reuse, repair, and recycle. Now, let's dig into the complexities of recycling and the solutions that are rendering it easier with Cindy Rhodes, the founder of Warn Again Technologies. The name of her company speaks for itself, but let's hear Cindy tell us what it's all about. The company was founded on a vision to eradicate textile waste. So we started with the problem. We looked at what was in the majority of end of use textiles when they end up being collected in one big global pool of textiles. What's in them? Well, the majority of textiles are made up of cotton, polyester, or a combination of the two. So with our technology, we focused on the, um, the idea of a, a solution for these two materials first. So Warn Again Technologies, the, the simple answer is that we're able to take old textiles, break them down and turn them back into new textile materials to go back into supply chains. That's the simple answer. Making that happen is often a lot more complex. Um, but we have been in development of a polymer recycling technology for pure polyester and polycotton blends. And we focus on non-rewearable textiles. So we're not interested in recycling textiles that have multiple more reuse lives. We're just focused on the non-rewearable textiles that may have stains or holes and, and just can't be resold again. 
And so we're able to take those old textiles, they go through a process, they're broken down, and the raw materials, the polyester and the cellulose from the cotton are decontaminated and recaptured uh, to produce two outputs, polyester that can go back into spinning and fiber production. And from the cotton, we're able to uh, dissolve that and recapture the cellulose, which as well can go back into fiber spinning to become new textiles all over again. So it's really, in essence, it's, it's old textiles back into new textiles. And there will be no compromise when it comes to making new textiles in terms of quality or functionality. These materials are of the equivalent quality that you get with virgin produced raw materials. So we're replacing polyester um, and cotton with cellulose uh, made from virgin resources and instead of virgin resources, making them from existing textiles. Polyester often gets a bad rap as if that, you know, it's a plastic, it's a man-made material. Listen, my mother hates polyester. But actually, when it comes to circularity, because of the behavior of polyester and the nature of polyester, you're, uh, and the fact that it's man-made, even though it goes through um, washing and different use phases and the polyester itself, the polymer chain degrades, when it comes through a polymer recycling process, you're able to build that polyester back up to a virgin equivalent quality. So building back more monomers onto the polymers in a simplistic way. So polyester can be an ideal circular material because it can go through the system multiple, multiple, multiple times infinitely, um, so long as you uh, uh, are able to put it through that finishing step that repairs the polymer. Is it more ecological? As this landscape evolves, there, there's a handful of chemical recyclers out there dealing with the textile problem. And every process is going to use, take a different approach to energy use, energy consumption, and all the different factors that you look at with a life cycle analysis. But ultimately, if you compare the recycling of these raw materials to the impacts of, say, drilling for oil for polyester use or growing cotton that takes up vast amounts of land and energy and water and chemicals to, to grow, that it's much, much more beneficial to be able to um, make new textiles out of our existing textiles. So there are huge benefits, but I think we're very early stage as an industry in understanding the differences between the different types of recycling processes. I noticed that during our conversation, Cindy used the word regenerate. That word was mentioned in the very first episode when Sanjayan and Helen talked about regenerative agriculture. Here's Cindy's take on regenerative technology. The idea of regenerative technology is about using technology to regenerate the raw materials that we already have harvested or we've already 
uh, drilled for in the case of oil and polyester. You know, we have bountiful resources above ground that are in circulation today, that if we can use technology to regenerate them, to get them back into supply chains, it's the best of all worlds. Where is the recycling industry at now? Sadly, we are so early stage in this part of the industry with circularity, materials recycling, textile to textile, fiber to fiber, whatever we call it, is still so early stage. Um, there are, in terms of volumes, it's virtually obsolete. And that's because there, there are existing recycling processes, but there are many emerging recycling processes that are still far from being Uh, you know, high capacities. And it's going to take years of development, of expansion, of infrastructure development, investment to really shift the needle where textile to textile recycling starts taking over in terms of virgin material use. And, and if you want to use one of the big, you know, standard facts that the industry is well acquainted with, you know, less than 1% of today's current textiles are made from old textiles. Even if we do reduce the volumes of new textiles being produced every year, we still have millions of tons of textiles going to landfill every year. So, you know, it's I think it's a two-pronged approach where we have to look at the volumes that are being produced as well as in reducing those volumes as well as increasing the volumes that are being recycled. I mean, if you look at polyester and cotton alone, together, you know, there are over 50 million tons of resources being produced from virgin materials every single year. The theme of this episode is circularity. So it's about time I ask Cindy what it means to her and how she sees the evolution of this practice. For me, sustainability is often about doing better, and which is great. We need to be doing that. But what I like about circularity is that it encapsulates so much more. You know, when we talk about circularity, it's about keeping products and materials in circulation for as long as possible. It's about making the livelihoods of the people who work in the industry better. So I think circularity can include its own definition, um, but within that contains sustainability as well. So they go hand in hand. I don't think you can have one without the other. Circularity does take that holistic approach where it's not just about environment, it's about people, it's about tying all of these systems together so that we can ensure we're living within our planetary boundaries. But equally important is if you talk about circular economics, it's got the word economic in it, which means the entire system has to be driven by viable economics. And I think from a commercial perspective, that's important for everyone working in the industry. There's been a real groundswell and momentum around circularity over the last, well, definitely three years where it's really been picking up. 
You know, it's not just the companies at the forefront of sustainability that are driving the change. We're seeing many, many more companies getting involved. And I think it's what's been encouraging is seeing this understanding that it's a holistic issue, that no one company can solve the problem. No one recycler, no one brand. It takes the entire ecosystem of stakeholders to keep resources in continual uh, circulation. And so what gives me hope is, is that the widespread industry collaboration that's been building over the years to understand the problem. The one thing about circularity is that there is huge opportunity for everyone. There, there are benefits in it. Everyone's going to win. Um, but we have to work together to bring all those puzzle pieces together and get get the foundation of the system in place so that we can all benefit from keeping those those materials in circulation. That is a challenge. I sensed that Cindy was really helpful for the future, and I wanted to share that with you. When we look at things like product circularity, that's something that can be achieved today and is happening today. You know, we've been recycling clothes or reusing clothes through through charities, through private collectors for decades, for, you know, hundreds of years. That There's nothing new there. But the fact that it's now recognized as a viable route to achieve circularity by brands and retailers, that's all the better. Peer-to-peer trading, new business models that encourage reuse is, is fantastic. I think the vision, though, is a future where products are kept in circulation for as long as possible until they can then be broken down to recapture those raw materials. And then those raw materials are kept in circulation for for infinity, for as long as possible. And we move away from the use of virgin materials. Apart from, I do think, regenerative agriculture, of course, will play a part in that. But when we look at volumes, absolutely, there's no reason why we can't be moving towards and achieving a, a fully circular future where textile to textile recycling makes up the most of it. And here's one last takeaway for you, my fellow fashion lovers. I've got a plan. Now listen carefully. It's an exciting time to engage customers in this long-term journey because it is going to be step-by-step. It's an exciting story to tell. And there are things that consumers and customers can do today. And that is whatever you buy, wear, use, the key message is, Keep it in circulation. Don't throw it in the bin. Um, the solutions are coming. They're on their way. And, you know, it's, it's a brave new world, but it's still quite early days. While learning about circularity and the practices implemented, I also hear the passion and drive of the experts. I feel not only inspired, but empowered. And I hope that you too. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Since the beginning of the podcast, I've talked to length about the fact that it's both the production and transformation of raw materials that are impacting the environment. So now, I want you to hear from someone who's working on that transformation process to make it more ecological, specifically when it comes to the dyeing process. Because yes, my friends, 
The black fibers of your favorite sweaters were dyed to get that beautiful color. So head over to LA and talk with Jane Palmer, the CEO of Nader Coatings. As all the guests you've heard before, she hates waste. So here's the idea she came up with. What we do at Nature Coatings is we transform wood waste into high-performing pigments. So we start with only FSC certified wood waste. And FSC stands for Forest Stewardship Council. And basically the FSC program just really ensures that wood is coming from a sustainable source. And that's super important, especially today with so much deforestation and problems <laughs> with, with those types of things. And so, you know, I want to make it very clear that we only work with very sustainable sourced wood and we only work with the waste wood. So what that means is we're taking things like the bark and the little tiny branches and parts of the trees that can't be used for other industries like paper or lumber, flooring, furniture, pencils, you name it, anything made with wood. And we're able to transform that waste into our pigment. It's crazy to me that there was nothing being done with all that wood waste. It was just being burned, releasing lots of CO2 and greenhouse gases. Then the ashes were buried or left on the side of the road, which is also contributing to releasing an immense amount of CO2. So I must say that I was quite blown away that Nader Coatings was able to turn that waste into pigments. Sorry, what did you say? I know that most people have probably never thought about pigments in their lives, and that's totally fine. <laughs> We think about pigments every day, and pigments are basically just what color everything in our lives. So our product called BioBlack is a direct replacement for petroleum-based carbon black pigment. And carbon black is the most used pigment in the world. It's everywhere. I can look around where I'm sitting and it's coloring the keys on my computer keyboard. It's on food packaging. It's on the paint and my flooring, on my walls. It's on my clothes, furniture. And the reason why this is super important is because carbon black pigment is made by literally burning fossil fuels. They combust them, they light them on fire, and they collect the soot, and that becomes the pigment. And that process releases millions of tons of CO2 into the atmosphere every year. And I would say just as importantly, The combustion process of petroleum creates substances on the pigment that are known to cause cancer. So they're super unhealthy, not only for the planet, but also for us. And we touch these pigments every day, all of us. With Nature Coatings, Jane is on a mission to replace as much carbon black pigment as possible with their bio-black. She explains to us why and how it can be used to dye, let's say, a napkin. 
our bio black is carbon negative, which is super exciting. So it actually reduces and sequesters carbon instead of emitting CO2 in greenhouse gases. And additionally, it does not contain any detected carcinogens. So it's super healthy for both the planet and for us. Essentially, it just gets mixed into existing printing or coating or ink formulations that factories already use. And it just coats or prints or covers or dyes the napkin, or we can also dye the yarn first before the napkin is even woven into a napkin. Uh, We can even cover color the fibers before the yarn is spun and then made into a napkin. Can you guess what they do instead? The wood goes into a hot sauna where it's heated without being burned so it's clean and chemical-free. I think you will agree that this sounds quite revolutionary. So I couldn't help but think, why isn't everyone using BioBlack? I asked Jen to tell us about the current state of the industry and her hopes for the future of Nader Coatings. I've been working in pigments and dyes and textiles for about 20 years, and I've seen the impact. I don't think most people know that pretty much every pigment and dye is made from petroleum and contain a lot of problematic chemicals that are not good for our environment or our health. And I just have always really felt that we can do better. It doesn't have to be that way. People who work in textiles and fashion know that this is one of the most polluting industries in the world. It's devastating to the environment and to people, particularly in Southeast Asia where a lot of our goods are made. And our product offers so many solutions towards that environmental devastation. It can reduce the CO2 impact. It's not going to pollute the environment around it where it's being used. It's going to keep water systems clean and soils clean. So there's a big incentive for mills to use it too. We are in the middle of building a new factory here in the United States, and it's going to give us an immense capacity, meaning we'll be able to make a lot of our product. So as we were talking about earlier, our product is available now. It's not a futuristic thing. And we will be able to supply as much as our customers need, basically. What's the next step? Completely clean garments overnight is not going to happen. And so brands are just going to need to adopt what's available at the time and just move forward one step at a time until we get to that place where everything is really clean. There's really no reason why someone wouldn't adopt it just because we've we've intentionally made it really easy to adopt. I'm really happy that we got the chance to hear another example of circularity and how you can turn waste into something new. In the case of Nader Coatings, use waste to replace non-ecologically friendly products. It's pretty mind-blowing, isn't it? 
And something I didn't tell you is that Jane's Bio Black is available at the exact same price as the Carbon Black Pigment, so there is just no reason not to believe that an industry-wide transformation is on the horizon. As Aperf said in episode 2, at the end of the day, you also have to be talking the same language as the people who are in charge of the finances, right? It is a win-win. This episode was, once more, enlightening and full of hope, right? From Mode, I learned and have committed to memory the four R's. Reduce, repair, reuse, recycle. Cindy explained that while recycling technologies are being developed and scaled, we need to keep our clothes in circulation and not just throw them in the recycling bin in hopes that something magical happens. And lastly, Jane opened my eyes to the fact that waste truly can be a primary resource. We've talked about technology here and there, but in the next episode, we're going full fashion tech. Because here's the thing, if taking virgin raw materials from the earth is damaging, if recycling is still complex and a work in progress, what if we could create new raw materials with technology? I repeat, we create new raw materials. Get ready, dear fashion lovers. In the next episode, I'm taking you to labs all over the world, in Milan, New York, and of course, San Francisco. More on that in episode four. Stay tuned. Oh.